Welcome to the Imperfect Church Podcast, a podcast for the imperfect church and the imperfect pastors that lead them. I'm Ryan Reed. And I am John Martin. And this is the Imperfect Church Podcast. All right, welcome back, Ryan. It's good to be back. Uh, Feels like we just recorded, <laughs> but we're back again, so... Yeah, we're uh, we're inching back, uh, we're inching towards that uh, one year. One year. Yeah, uh, I saw today on Twitter, you put that today was our, yesterday was our 50th... That's right. Our 50th uh, episode. episode. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Dip, dip, you know... That's good. Fifty in, so uh, but we, we still don't have fifty. Uh, we don't have fifty reviews. Yeah, we're getting close. ITunes. We have forty-seven. Yeah, and in fact, let's. Uh, why don't we just kind of open up real quick? Because we have an awesome gift. We we do. We actually have a gift now, which is uh, <laughs> was is, is kind of changed from the last podcast. But yeah, let's read. We have awesome a we have gift. two two new uh, reviews we want to read. Right. Uh, this is from Malcolm Phillips, and he says, "Stumbled onto this podcast a month ago and didn't take long to binge through the past episodes. You guys are fun, down to earth." And when John actually stops laughing long enough to get to the on topic, encouragingly, bi- encouragingly biblical. Yeah, this is exactly what I imagined my podcast would be if I had a podcast, a friend, and something worth talking about. <laughs> yeah. If you bring some of those famous yeah. stickers to the SBC, I'll rep the Imperfect Church podcast in Oklahoma. Yeah. So uh, Malcolm is a former IMB personnel and uh, now is at the children's home there. So that's pretty great cool stuff. Well, yeah. uh, Malcolm, thank you. You have two friends right here. So. <laughs> Uh, also, we have one from a, a guy named Dustin Hamrick, and he says, yeah. these guys do a good job. Proud of John Martin, uh, and proud John Martin is my pastor and friend. So go. how much did you pay that? Yeah, none, yeah. but I'm the only one getting shout-outs. That's right. If you have a friend, they I need don't to make have themselves known. Actually, um, speaking of my friends, <laughs> we have go. one of my friends on the podcast my today. Friend. So uh, live from the Spurgeon Library, yeah. we have my friend Timothy Gatewood. Timothy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So uh, Timothy and I met while we were both uh, working on our master's degree through New Orleans, and Timothy is a PhD student at Midwestern. And let me see if I can get all your titles because uh, Timothy's big name. All right. <laughs> uh, so Timothy, first off, is uh, husband of Beth, and uh, he uh, his son just turned a month today. So new father. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I don't I don't actually know that other than I saw it on Facebook this morning. So. Um, <laughs> And then you are now the editor of Credo Magazine? I am one of the editors, that's right. One of the editors, all right. And you work in the Spurgeon Library. Yeah, I'm a research assistant uh, in the Spurgeon Library. Yep. And also also a deacon at Emmaus Church? That's right. Is that right? Covered all of them, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm good. I I did my homework before this. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, So I'm so excited about having Timothy on here uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, I'm excited to talk with him. But the second is the topic. Yeah. And so, um, a while back, when I was thinking about doing PhD, uh, Timothy is about a year ahead of me in his PhD, and uh, I, I kind of settled on a person that mm-hmm. I mentioned a few times on the show, Carl mm-hmm. Henry, and FH. Uh, that's right, Carl F H Henry. That's right. And then I got up from my first seminar. I was talking with uh, Timothy, and I said, "So, what are you doing? Your your uh, what? Are you, what's kind of your focus?" And he said, "I'm actually uh, focusing on Carl Henry." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that uh, that experience of uh, of meeting somebody who's just as nerdy as you in this one area. <laughs> so um, Timothy Carl Henry is a, a part of a broader, um, I guess, conversation there. And, and what do you call those things that uh, that group that he's from? <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, refer to them as the neo evangelicals. That's right. Uh, my uh, my iPhone keeps changing it to bro evangelicals, <laughs> and I think that's a wholly different thing. So, 
Maybe we could continue that. Like maybe we can be the bro evangelical. That's right. There that's you right. go. That's good. Great idea. That's good. I like that. So explain to us these uh, neo-evangelicals. What movement did they come out of? Uh, what, maybe what's what's their uh, what's their history? Can you give give us that kind of a brief breakdown of that? Absolutely. So in the early part of the 20th century, there was this fight between uh, fundamentalists and mm-hmm. modernists. Mm-hmm. And so the fundamentalists, uh, we're using that term differently today than we would have back then. So fundamentalists could have just been a term for evangelicals, people mm-hmm. who committed to the fundamentals of the faith. And then the modernists were people who had been influenced by uh, German liberalism. So they were uh, interpreting the Bible uh, pretty loosely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were kind of jettisoned some of the uh, more important doctrines, um, which is which is what happens when you jettison like inerrancy, right? Uh, right, right. right. And so the neo-evangelicals were originally fundamentalists, but uh, in the fundamentalist camp, they were kind of afraid of being influenced by the culture, and so they practiced like isolationism, like they didn't mm. want to be a part of the culture, so they like protected their message, they kept it to themselves. And stayed away from that. Well, the neo-evangelicals were fundamentalists who were saying, no, 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 we we have the message that can profoundly affect the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to we need to engage the culture. We need to get our message out there. We need to be um, making conferences and writing books and teaching seminars. Um, and so eventually they separated themselves from the fun- fundamentalists, even though they agreed on all the key points of doctrine. Uh, but the difference was how they were going to take this doctrine to the streets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't a theological difference. It was a practice difference. Right, yeah. And so if you looked on paper about the beliefs uh, that the neo-evangelicals promoted and beliefs of the fundamentalists, there would be significant overlap. Mm-hmm. And that, that changed over time. Uh, so like now when we talk about fundamentalism, we're not talking about the same thing as evangelicalism. Right. But originally they were. It was basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you think uh, I think a, a good story that kind of symbolizes this break from uh, the neo evangelicals to the fundamentalist is found in the life of Billy Graham, and that is when uh, you know Billy Graham uh, surrenders to ministry, goes off to Bible college, and goes to a fundamentalist school, right. uh, and then he decides it's better to him to go to a, an evangelical school that will reach the culture, and that that mm-hmm. that that uh, I guess that break there in Billy Graham's life really symbolizes the break of the neo evangelicals. In fact, we would say that uh, Graham is a, is a face of the neo-evangelicals. That's right, yeah. So the big three uh, are Carl F.H. Henry. Mm-hmm. And by the way, so the, the F.H., that's Howard, Ferdinand Howard, and my that's son, right. John Howard. So that's name watch it. it. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Carl Henry, Billy Graham, and then Harold John Ockingay. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the big three of the neo-evangelicals. Right, and so uh, they, uh, they all three of them, they, they start some very influential uh, programs and institutions that our day, uh, that we are, you know, we, we are benefiting from. One of those is Fuller Seminary, uh, Christianity Today, um, and they, they leave kind of a lasting legacy. Mm. But here's, here's my theory of reason why that many evangelicals today don't really know that much about the neo-evangelicals. And it's because when pastors take church history too, you don't get to it. Mm-hmm. You run out of time, mm-hmm. right? You kind of stop about the 1930s or so. Mm-hmm. Maybe you mm-hmm. get to Karl Barth and, yeah. uh, and and kind of the resistance against Nazism. Maybe you get to Bonhoeffer, yeah. but you don't get quite far enough. Uh, would you say that's maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't know a lot about the neo-evangelicals? I think that's true. I think so. Um, the neo-evangelicals were academics. 
from the mm-hmm. Russian. Uh, and so they they aren't as accessible mm-hmm. as some people. But look, if we're if we're talking about Karl Barth in our church history class, then we can definitely talk about <laughs> Henry. All right, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, and and they're just kind of overshadowed. I also think that there's a little uh, hesitation with the title, like when we hear like neo orthodoxy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes us nervous. We're like, well, I, what, what is that? That sounds bad. And so when we mm-hmm. say neo evangelical, you know, we think, well, why can't we just be evangelical? You know, right, like, why right. this adjective? And uh, yeah, and so I think there's just some hesitancy. And then, yeah, like we just, we just don't talk about it, even though everybody who's listening to this podcast has been profoundly affected by them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned names like Billy Graham. I mean, who who is an evangelical today that has not been at least said under one sermon of Billy Graham? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think uh yeah, I think Bevington, maybe is Bevington, and one of his history books, he says an evangelical is anybody who likes Billy Graham. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's awesome. And then like just the the connections that they have. So like um we talk about Al Mohler at Southern Seminary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Paul Henry was a mentor for him. Yeah. Or we talk about John Piper. Well, John Piper answered the call to ministry when he heard a sermon by Harold John Ockingay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark Dever. Uh, okay, so he's pastor at Capitol Hill. Well, he's there because Carl Henry was a member, <laughs> and they had a relationship. I mean, like, yeah. influential people in evangelicalism are all connected to what we would call the neo-evangelicals. It's a big That's deal. right. And I would even say uh, that the modern SBC – uh, is where we are today because of the influence of the neo-evangelicals. Mm. So they shaped and formed us. We are their children, and we often don't remember our fathers. Mm. Mm. So that, that's, I think that's part of the reason why this podcast, and that's part of the reason why Timothy and I both are wanting to write in this area, uh, because we do believe it's important for yeah. the church to know our heritage. Right. Sure. So um, I think this is a good time for our dead man to kind of give you a taste. Um, I've mentioned uh, Carl F.H. Henry many times. Uh, but I think this is a fantastic quote of his that kind of gives you a, a taste for the passion and the, the methods of the new evangelicals. So Carl Henry writes, Unless it verbally articulates and communicates the revelation of God, the church has no distinctive right to be heard, to survive, or even to exist. Nor is the Christian minister anything and everything. He is primarily the proclaimer of God's revealed word. Mm. Yeah. So go ahead, Timothy. Yeah, so that's from uh, that's from God Revelation Authority Volume Two, correct? I, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty. I, I've got my Volume One right here, but that's from Volume Two. I don't know. It <laughs> goes on in that quote, and he basically says that like the social ills that we have today, like are because like pastors don't have a backbone. Like he, he basically says, like man, pastors like we have become weak practitioners of the gospel. We don't preach it as strongly as a confidently we do. And if we did, man, that message have serious implications in the culture man i mean every quote by carl henry (laughs) uh, on fire that one's in particular gets me going man it's good that's good and and, you know i just i was flipping through god revelation and authority one um and it's stuff like this Uh, carl henry says evangelical theology is heretical if it is only creative and unworthy if it Mm. is only repetitious Mm. Uh, i mean this guy he, he dropped bomb after bomb after bomb and one of the, the great things that he and the uh, neo-evangelical movement understood 
is they were able to dismantle the mindset of, of that contemporary modern progressive worldview and at the same time apply biblical principles to it. Mm-hmm. They were not afraid. Uh, they didn't huddle back and, and kind of bunker down, but they thought that we ought to move onward into culture, transforming and redeeming it as we go. Yeah, do you think that uh, kind of where we are today as evangelicals, do you think we're, we're, we kind of see a repeat of this in history? So that, that that maybe was not the first time that we saw a group of people come in and and uh, maybe not redefine but clarify what it meant to be an evangelical, and even even today, you know, in our convention, there seems to be you know at times a, a, a redefining again or clarifying what it means to be an evangelical again. And I think as you guys are talking about this, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, we're guys like Moeller and Dever and some other guys. They 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 come in and keep the keep the evangelical idea rolling mm-hmm. you know they're yeah. they're our uh, correcting i guess they're the, the correcting fluid always mm-hmm. and uh keeping us in line i guess is what i'm trying to say and, and from what i gather this is this is what this is why neo-evangelicals matter right i mean this is kind of what what they did what they accomplished what if you were to say this is this is why neo-evangelicals matter in current um, you know, history, then what would you say, this is why they matter the most? Yeah, so I, I think you're dead on, first of all, uh, in your kind of analysis of just repeating history. Like, right. you know, the, the difference between, like, you know, Reformation and, like, progressivism. I mm-hmm. mean, like, we reform something, we go back. Like, yeah, we, that's it. We have forgotten, whereas progressivism, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's, like, where we're charting new territories and we're getting away from truth. And so I think that's a very good point. Uh, in terms of why it matters today, I think the most important aspect of neo-evangelical ideas uh, is this, this idea of all doctrine being linked together mm-hmm. in message and implication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the way Henry would say it is that Christianity has a worldview and we also have a life view. Mm-hmm. And so we have our message, our, our doctrines that we will not compromise on. And they do have implications in every facet of life. Now, uh, the neo-evangelicals did not believe that we could like bring in the kingdom, mm-hmm. but they did believe that the message could. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when we're engaging uh, secular culture, like we can proudly uh, proclaim the gospel, and it will affect not only our lives as we live out its implication, but it will cure culture. Mm. And that's that's very helpful. Uh, that nuance is very helpful in the the current conversation. Yeah, we we actually we read. Uh, John doesn't know this or not. Uh, I don't know if he knows this. Uh, but we recently in our in our book club, Oprah's book club, we read uh, one of the books was from George Eldon Ladd, one yeah. of the neo evangelicals, mm-hmm. and it was on the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. really, I I feel like uh, Ladd did one of the best, probably the the most helpful and most hurtful thing for the. Uh, premillennial cause mm-hmm. and writing about the kingdom because in doing so he corrected a lot of the mistakes of premillennials giving them a stronger foundation but he also made a bridge to amillennialism yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably un- unnecessarily mm-hmm. but that was that was his point is that this kingdom uh, is being ushered in through the word mm-hmm. and therefore we need to take this word into the culture to see transformation occur mm-hmm. through the power of God Yeah, the way that I describe it is that the neo-evangelicals believed that culture was dying from a curable disease. Mm, And the church has the anecdote. Mm -hmm. And 
the fundamentalists were keeping the antidote to themselves, and the neo-evangelicals were like, what doctor would do such a thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, like we're, we're still trying to learn about that. Yeah, uh-huh. you know? yeah. well, that's, that's a, today. I know you get the frustration, and I think any historian or anybody who reads history gets the frustration when you read the headlines or you read the Facebook or you read the Twitter and you think, these people need to go read New Evangelicals, mm. you know, in Southern Baptist life, in particular. I think we a lot of the issues, the nuances that we're we're struggling with, the foundation was laid for us back in the fifties. Yeah. So sure. why are we trying to stumble around in the dark now when these people are holding flashlights for mm. us? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the importance of going back and finding these foundations, and then we can start somewhere, have a, have a starting ground to move forward. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Timothy, um, you've been doing a lot of reading in this area, a lot of study in this area. Um, and what is, uh, what is maybe uh, a, a, a great application, probably the application for today from the evangelicals? Yeah, so if it's not uh, – well, I think, I think the worldview theory thing is, 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 is really helpful, mm-hmm. um, which also explains, like, if I was going to put at a, a modern face of the continuation of neo-evangelicals, I'd, I'd point down Moeller. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. John kind of referenced earlier, just keeping that alive. Um, I also think this idea of um, institution. So, uh, as you pointed out, Ryan, the neo evangelicals they uh, they started a lot of super influential institutions. Yeah, uh, and younger generations, uh, you know, myself included, like we kind of s- stray away from that. We, we're really into mm-hmm. movements. We're really into individual power, but we're not really into cooperation for a common cause. Mm. Uh, and the neo-evangelicals were completely the opposite. They were starting uh, institutions left and right. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the problem is that they were often disconnected from the local church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they did they did schools, they did publications, but they were non-denominational. Right. Uh, whereas I think if we had that drive to say, okay, we're going to put all of our resources together, we're going to work on this, but we did it through the avenue of the local church, mm. man, I think that there's some great benefit there. Yeah, and there's a, a lot of people that critique the neo-evangelicals. They do – that's the point they point to. Uh, specifically, Henry is they point to their, um, I guess uh, – uh, I don't want to say weak, but uh, for lack of a better term, weak ecclesiology that there's not a lot of emphasis on that local church. However, in my personal reading, I've seen that there is more of that, uh, but we could strengthen that viewpoint if we do do what you say, funnel it through the local church and, and take this idea of rootedness from their institutions, bring it into our local church, and then and then send out from there. Right. You know, you Fair. may have already a- answered this question, kind of, but, but just to, to draw it on a, uh, you know, you know, in in the pulpit kind of kind of position here. Yeah. If you if you were to look at neo evangelicals and you were to say, this is this is the lesson every pastor needs to know that neo evangelicals teach us. This is the thing as they approach the pulpit or as they do their ministry. This is the thing that they need to know that even neo evangelicals taught us. What do yeah. you think that is? I think that. Um we cannot know truth unless God has revealed it. That's good. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we preach, uh, if, if we are preaching our ideas yeah. or preaching uh, modern methodologies, mm-hmm. we have no guarantee that it's true. Mm-hmm. And we are easily fooled, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the heart is deceitful above all things. Yeah. And, and so when we, 
stake our sermons or our pastoral ministry mm-hmm. in truth, in the word of God, uh, well, then, like, we have confidence, right? Like, we can boldly yeah. proclaim it, and that is what has power. And so that goes back to, to Ron's quote earlier that he read, that, like, that's why the church exists, is to proclaim the self-revelation of God. Mm-hmm. And we, we can never get away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's, that's, good. that's why I love uh, Henry's uh, uh, his, his God Revelation Authority. The first book is called The God Who Speaks and Shows. Mm. And that's uh, that's Henry's emphasis, the God who speaks. Uh, there is no other God in, in the world. The false idols in the Old Testament, they had mouths, but they did not speak. Yeah. And right. uh, you know Henry's emphasis and the neo-evangelical emphasis is that our foundation for truth, our epistemology, must be based on revelation, God's revelation. Yeah. And, right. and that, man, that's so good for the pulpit. Not limited to uh, the pulpit as well. Like when we have... Like when we as Christians, when we address any topic, right, mm. regardless of situation, like if it's not grounded in God's revelation, then we shouldn't be very confident in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. And I think that goes back to maybe, I think it's attributed to St. Augustine, uh, but, um, you know, charity and all things, mm-hmm. you know, that, that humility of, hey, God's, right. uh, God's word doesn't speak specifically to this. Uh, we can draw some applications. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be hesitant to draw hard dividing lines on these issues because God has not drawn hard dividing lines in his word. And so I don't have the authority to do that. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you, you've done a lot of research obviously in this area of, uh, particularly with Carl Henry, but also in, uh, with Neo Evangelical. So, there's there are some lay people that listen to this podcast as well as those uh, pastors too. So if you were to say to the layman, you know, hey, here is here is a resource that I think uh, that you guys could read. Maybe it's a book by Carl Henry, or maybe it's a book by one of the neo evangelicals, or maybe maybe something that that talks about this movement. Even what would you say? Here's here's a resource that'll kind of help you uh, have an experience with the neo evangelical movement. Sure. So, so three come to mind real fast. Okay. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm sure you've talked about it before, but uh, the, the first one would be Carl Henry's Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's an 89-page booklet. It, it is a little difficult to read at times. So Amen. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about that. But that is, that is a, so, it's so valuable. Sure. Uh, if you want uh, a more accessible work, from a neo-evangelical, uh, Harold Lenzel wrote this book called Battle for the Bible, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's about inerrancy, and mm. it is it is very accessible. Like, um, it's just it's just a man musing on his current situation and the importance of the Bible. Very mm. prophetic too. This was written before uh, oh, the conservative oh. resurgence in the Southern Baptist life, and he called it. You know, yeah. yeah. And then, um, if you want just like a historical survey, then uh, Dr. Owen Strand mm-hmm. has called uh, Awaking the Evangelical Mind. Uh, once again, very accessible, and it just does like a thousand foot view of the the, the main events of the movement, and it's super helpful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I would love to take time to talk about Crusade University because that's uh, kind of the neo evangelical dream that never was. Mm. Uh, Billy Graham and Carl Henry and several others wanted to start this university in New York City that would not be a Christian university, but would be a university, and everything they did was influenced by that Christian worldview, mm. and it never got realized. So I'd love to talk about that, because we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, but there's just so many mysteries and so many avenues to explore in the neo-evangelical movement, and I think those are three great resources. Good. Well, uh, Timothy, now to the important stuff. So 
Um, the first one is we understand that you did enter some questions for us in our Ask Anything series. And uh, it's only fair that now that you're on the podcast that you would answer at least one of them. So uh, the first one is, and this one this one did originate from you, um, and it's uh, who do you think in church history, someone from church history that you could beat in a fist fight? Okay, let me tell you something. I I have probably thought about this more than any guest. <laughs> and I can say with confidence that since I work in the Spurgeon Library, that, that I could take Charles Spurgeon in a fight. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's no doubt in in my mind. So a lot of people don't know that Charles Spurgeon was five four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking and, he's a little bit taller. Yeah. So I got like eight inches on the guy. Yeah. I, I I think I can take him. Hey, but listen, I had a friend in college that uh he was he was a little bit shorter, a little bit heftier, and we had boxing night, and I boxed him one time, and let me tell you, he could put some power behind those blows. <laughs> if he ever hit me, I wouldn't be here today. Oh gosh! Yeah, if Spurgeon ever got me down, I don't know if I could get up. <laughs> There's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the call to avoid. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I know you're doing a lot of academic reading and, and everything else, but what what are some books that you're reading right now? Yeah, so uh, right now I'm actually in a seminar completely dedicated to the neo-evangelicals. Mm. Uh, and so uh, right now I'm working through uh, George Marsden's book, uh, Reforming Fundamentalism. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, it's, it talks about um, how full it was started and, and some of the, the eternal, internal debates that, uh, that happened um, with that. I'm also reading um, – oh, you know what? I, can't, I forgot the title. I am reading uh, Craig Carter's book on uh, recovering the exegesis with the great tradition. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, um, and that, that, that book's blowing my mind a little bit. Uh, and so definitely recommend both of those sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll look those up. Uh, so uh, you you do you mentioned several times you're in the Spurgeon Library right now. You're working in the Spurgeon Library. Uh, just kind of to close, do you want to kind of add anything about the Spurgeon Library, about Midwestern doctoral studies, Credo Magazine? You got a lot of a lot of coals and a lot of fire. So anything you want to add before we close? Yeah. So uh, I, I I definitely support all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this, the Spurgeon Library is, is one of the jewels of, of Midwestern Seminary. Uh, and so um, we're open every weekday. Um, during the summer, we're closed. But if you want to come and you want to visit, uh, give us a call, and we'll be, we'll be happy to give you a tour. Uh, anybody who has even a nominal interest in Charles Spurgeon uh, would, would, would really benefit from it. Um, Credo Magazine, uh, I think your, your listeners would really benefit from that. It's completely free. It's all online at uh, credomag.com, uh, and we are producing uh, new blog posts daily, new podcasts about every week, and then we have a, uh, a quarterly magazine uh, with some pretty uh, in-depth articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like to, to bridge the gap between the local church and the academy. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so accessible to all, but if you, if you enjoy thinking about theology, uh, a great resource. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, um, how are you enjoying uh, fatherhood? Your month in, dude. That dad life's the good life, man. It is. It is. It is. That's great. Uh, well, you wait know, till they get fifteen. Yeah, uh, I'm not there yet, so I'm enjoying what I got. So, uh, well, Timothy, we do really appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your knowledge on the neo evangelicals. Uh, if anything, just to say, I'm not alone. So, yeah, that's right. That's great. All right. Well, we do appreciate you listening to our podcast. And if you like our podcast, please like, rate, and review us on iTunes. Uh, just three more reviews and our giveaway drops. So uh, Southern Baptist Convention is coming quick. So we want to make sure that we get those in. 
Uh, we uh, appreciate uh, all of you, and we will see you next time. Until then, keep uh, loving the imperfect church, and remember one day she will be perfected in glory.